The spirit-empowered life is the faith-driven life. It starts with baby steps. Now, here's the thing. Every single major decision that we made over 43 years at Saddleback that I knew was something that would help us fulfill the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, between you and me and the fence post, I was scared to death to do. Okay, but I happen to believe I'm not gonna let fear dominate my life. I'm gonna do what the Holy Spirit tells me to do even when I'm scared to death. You see, people misunderstand what courage is. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is doing what you're scared to death to do, but doing it anyway because it's the right thing. If you're not afraid, you don't need courage. If you're not afraid, you don't need faith. So the people who are listening right now, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna say to you, before you care about the whole Great Commission and taking the gospel of the whole world, that's important. But before you can even get to there, how about taking some little steps of faith in, in your own personal life and in your neighborhood? Welcome to the Spirit Empowered Leader Podcast, Resurgence Initiatives Podcast. Our heart is to see a movement of leaders released in all spheres of society and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Never before has there been such a need for good leadership. We're on a journey to be equipped, encouraged, and empowered. Join our conversations as we talk spirit-empowered leadership and see God's kingdom at work through God's people everywhere they go. Hey, welcome back. My name is Travis Alonia, and this is... Donovan Beyer. How's it going? And you're listening to the Spirit Empowered Leader Podcast. And maybe you've already been joining us all season. We are on, today is our season finale, which mm -hmm. is really hard to believe. Um, so you might be watching all season, listening all season, or this may be the first time you've ever heard of it, ever seen it. And we are so honored to have you with us. Yeah, it's been such an amazing journey so far. Uh, we've interviewed some amazing guests. I, I've learned so much personally, and I feel like I've grown as a leader a lot. And uh, it's just been such an honor, those of you who's, who've been listening. Like, we're, we're glad you've joined us for this journey. And if this is your first time listening to us today, welcome to the journey. Uh, feel free to listen back to all that's been said. I think it'll be worth, uh, worth listening to. But yeah, it's been a pretty awesome process. Hey, Travis? Yeah, incredible. And to kind of fill people in, we are a ministry called Resurgence Initiatives, and we're based in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And in 2008, God put this word resurgence in a team of people, and it's to, to believe for a rising again, renewal, restoration, revival. Um, and, and we started gathering people, people that were leaving the church and becoming disenfranchised and saying, hey, there's the Spirit of God wants to impact people. And as we opened up a movie theater and people came, we realized that that was more than just a couple nights. It's, it's a movement. And I remember in our first prayer meeting, God spoke to us and said, this isn't about a night. This is about a lifestyle. How do you live the Spirit-filled life every day? Mm -hmm. And so the heart of this podcast that we launched this year is to, is to call forth a generation of leaders. Mm -hmm. uh, we're all called to lead. We believe there's a leader in every chair. You're watching, you're a leader. You might be a mom, a janitor, a business owner, a pastor, whatever you are, you're called to lead. And God's put a potential in you to lead. Mm -hmm. And here's what we found, Donovan and I have been struggling going, how do we lead in a greater capacity? God, how do we get to the potential you've called us to lead? And so we've been on a growing um, journey, tra trajectory. How do we grow our leadership? And so this podcast is, is how we're doing it. And we've 
invited you to join us. Come along for the journey. Um, this is season one. There is a ton of episodes that we've released that are just incredible. And it's been so amazing to hear the feedback. Mm -hmm. I was just in Vancouver and a friend who's a pharmacist said, this has been life-giving. Mm -hmm. This has been so impactful. Another friend who's an accountant said, wow, this your story and hearing the stories of all the guests have, have transformed my leadership. And so wherever you're watching this story, wherever you're listening, we, we invite you. Maybe you're just tuning in today. There's a bunch of episodes, check them out, and here's the great news, season two is coming, mm -hmm. and it's going to be even better. But today is going to be an amazing day, because we have a guest that is a general of generals in the kingdom of God, mm -hmm. it is an incredible honor to have him, and um, we were just praying, who do we have? And this name came, and we reached out, and he goes, I would love to do that. Mm -hmm. And then we're like, what? <laughs> so. Donovan, thoughts? Yeah, it's a huge honor to, to have Rick Ward on our podcast today. I know when I was in high school or maybe even junior high is when The Purpose Driven Life came out and I read that book when I was really young and I remember it being impactful in my own walk and uh, it was hugely impactful in my dad's life but he's a pastor and when we were in LA we went to Saddleback Church because we had to check out and see what all the what all the hype and fuss was about and it lived up to it um, but yeah it's been a hugely impactful book in my own life and I'm sure for those of you listening today maybe you haven't even thought about the book in a while but I know that I'm there's many of you that were great or sorry <clears throat> I'll start that again. <clears throat> I know there's many of you that are listening today that were hugely impacted by this book. And so what an honor it is to uh, hear a bit more of Rick's story and have him unpack kind of what God's done since the book came out. Yeah, you know, uh, my wife Jess and I met Rick in Amsterdam. And uh, we were there for a conference called Amsterdam 2023. And his heart is Great Commission. And you're going to hear that, I'm sure, in our interview. Um, but it, it bleeds, hey, God, how do we fulfill the Great Commission? How do we do that? And that's mm -hmm. been his heart for his 43 years at Saddleback. Uh, I was looking up, Donovan. He's, he's sold 50 million books of that's The Purpose Driven Life. There are, wow. are purpose-driven nations. There are purpose-driven corporations and churches. Uh, I think mm -hmm. 700,000 leaders have been impacted. And so when wow. we talk spirit-empowered leader, you can say, oh, well, is that spirit? You don't impact people like that without the spirit of God touching your life. Mm -hmm. And and Rick is, is a testimony of that. And yet he's such a personable guy. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it is such an honor. And so as, as we interview Rick today, would you... Open up your heart. Open up your mind for what the Spirit may be saying. And and as he speaks, and he's going to talk, I, I know his heart's church leaders. That's his life. But I believe the principles that he's going to share are going to be applicable to wherever you lead. Yeah. And, and whatever God's called you. And we're all to be planted in local churches. And so it's essential. And I know his passion is that each one of us, whether we're the pastor or we're uh, the person sitting in the pew, mm -hmm. that we're called to be doing Great Commission. We're called to be leaders. Yeah. And so uh, I know that's his heart, and that's going to come out today. Mm -hmm. And so uh, just really excited. Yeah, it's going to be a great conversation. We're going to jump into the conversation with Rick Warren. But at the end of today's podcast, because this is our season finale, we want to give an opportunity to share about Resurgence Initiatives, our ministry. And it is completely funded by people, people like you that give and support us from around the world that make it possible for us to reach people, to revive churches, and to release leaders. And so at the end, there'll be an opportunity to get involved in that way and encourage you that maybe God would be calling you to, to, to not just follow the podcast, 
but, but also invest in, in what God's doing through Resurgence in a greater way. We're so honored today to have Pastor Rick Warren as our guest on the Spirit Empowered Leader podcast. And a number of months ago, Donovan, as we were kind of praying, who are we supposed to have on this podcast? I was just the Holy Spirit laid on my heart, Rick, and I thought, mm-hmm. I need to reach out. I reached out and he said, I would love to do it. And so it is an honor, Rick. If, if you don't know Pastor Rick Warren, he is a legend. He is a general. He is a leader of leaders. Um, and and he's, a, he's an innovative pastor that his, his books have reached over 50 million copies sold. He's, he's spoken before the UN and, and many other things. And I recently had a chance to meet him and hear him speak in Amsterdam 2023, an incredible conference. And what I love most about him is his heart. He was at the door greeting everyone and going, welcome to Amsterdam. And uh, so welcome, Rick. We are so honored to have you on this podcast. Well, Travis, Donovan, uh, you guys are legends too. You know what? Uh, and I reach my hand across the border and say, please let me retire in Canada. Okay. Nice. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely love uh, the two provinces of Alberta and BC. Uh, if I could live anywhere uh, that, the, that the Lord didn't care where I lived, I, you know, I would probably be up there with you guys. I was actually raised in the redwoods of Northern California. In a little tiny town of 500 people, uh, and it was called Redwood Valley. Um, and uh, when the Jesus Revolution, the Jesus Movement broke out in the late 60s, early 70s on the West Coast in California, um, it touched my life while I was in high school. And I was licensed to preach by a little church at age 16, uh, hired by the California Baptist Convention to do youth evangelism up and down the West Coast, Washington, Oregon, California. And uh, while I was going to school, high school, uh, I did 120 Harvest Crusades before I was 20 years old. And uh, that's actually how I met my one of my mentors, uh, Billy Graham, heard about this 18-year-old uh, kid, long-haired kid with wire rim glasses, skinny, uh, and took me under his arm for the next 42 years and really gave me a heart for the whole world. Helped me to see that that ministry is much bigger than my community, my church, my province, my state, my nation. Uh, there's no, it's not sin to have a smaller church. It is a sin to have a small vision. Wow. We have to have bifocal vision, global and local at the same time. Now, there is no there's no co- a, uh, a comparison or no correlation between the size and the strength of a church. A church can be big and strong, or it can be big and flabby. A church can be small and strong, or it can be small and wimpy. Big isn't necessarily better. Small isn't necessarily better. Spirit-empowered is better. Healthy is better. And, and, and so when I wrote almost 30 years ago the book Purpose Driven Church, which by the way I'm revising right now in a new uh, a version 30 years later called We Are the Church, and it's a book that pastors can give to their members going, here's what we believe. This is why we do church the way we do it, based on the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Mm, that's so good, Rick. And, and I'd love to just, can you unpack a little bit how over the years, what what has being a Spirit-empowered leader looked like for you? Like, you, you've written a lot about systems and churches and all this, but you personally, what, what has it looked like, and how have you seen fruit of Spirit-empowered leadership in your life? To walk in the Spirit is so important, and that means not getting ahead of what the Holy Spirit guides you to do, not getting behind it, 
and not looking at what everybody else is doing. I honestly believe, guys, the number one uh, thing that keeps us from walking in the Spirit is comparing ourselves to other people. Now, the Bible tells us in Corinthians, it's stupid to compare. You shouldn't compare your, your, ch your church. You shouldn't compare your family, your kids, your lawn, uh, you know, uh, your, your, how you look, uh, because God made everybody unique and everybody different. When you get to heaven, God isn't going to say, why weren't you more like Moses? Or why weren't you more like Billy Graham? Or why weren't you more like, name anybody? He's going to say, wait a minute, I made you to be you. And if you don't be you, who's going to be you? We don't need two of anybody else. Most people start off in ministry as originals, but they end up as carbon copies of somebody else. And that limits every time you compare and every time you compete, you are limiting the Holy Spirit in your life. Okay, you're limiting God's spirit because God has a path uniquely for you, uniquely for your ministry and uniquely for your church. Well, Donovan, you mentioned that word system. God is actually a systematic God. Everything God does, he does in a system. The solar system was created by our creator. The plant kingdom is a system. The animal kingdom is a system. Your body is 17 different systems, the skeletal system, the respiratory system, digestive system, circulatory system, lymphatic system, and on and on and on. God is a systematic God. That means he is a God of order, not of chaos. And, and, and so th this to me has a lot to do with how we grow as believers. You know, just like there are developmental stages for physical growth, there are developmental stages for spiritual growth and walking in the spirit. For instance, we all grow at different sizes and shapes and we all look different, but every single one of us went through the same developmental stages growing up. The first stage is the first thing a baby has to learn to do is how to breathe. And if it doesn't learn how to breathe, they spank its bottom, it yells and it gulps and it takes its first breath. The second thing a baby has to learn is how to sleep. The third thing a baby has to learn is how to eat. And there are developmental stages. Then you learn uh, to, uh, to walk. And eventually you learn to talk. No baby learns to talk before it learns to eat or sleep. Okay, there is an order to, spiritual, to uh, physical development. And any textbook will show you the developmental stages of physical growth. The big aha that I had about 40 years ago when I started Saddleback, specifically 43 years ago, is that there is a physical, a spiritual development uh, uh, um, uh, process or system. And if we, if we do it the way Jesus does it, our churches are healthier. You can't love Christ until first you know Christ. So the first thing is I got to know Christ. Okay, that's evangelism. Then I learned to love Christ. That's called worship. Then I learned to love his family and belong to his family. Uh, that's called fellowship. Um, then I learned to grow in Christ. That's discipleship. Then I learned to serve Christ. That's ministry. And then I learned to share Christ. That's my witness, my mission, my evangelism that we do. Those actually, there's an order to that. And, and when we started building Saddleback around an order, 
Everybody agrees that the purposes of life and the purposes of church, I could give you 200 books that tell you worship is the purpose of a church. Of course it is. Fellowship is the purpose of a church. Discipleship, uh, uh, ministry and service is a part of the church. Evangelism, outreach is a part. We all know this. This is not rocket science. What I learned is there's an actual order to those things. And as you move people through uh, the stages of spirit-filled, uh, spirit-anointed, spirit-led walk, um, you go through these stages. Now, where did I learn this? By studying the ministry of Jesus. Jesus had a three-and-a-half-year ministry. And when he goes, he starts his ministry, his first public words to start his ministry are just three words, come and see. Jesus went out to John the, John the Baptist to be baptized in the Jordan. Spirit comes down. Father speaks from heaven. See the Trinity there. The next day, Jesus went back to the Jordan River. And as he's walking by John, who's baptizing, John looks at two of his disciples, Andrew and John, and goes, there goes the Lamb of God. Follow him. And, and Andrew asks Jesus the first public question of his ministry. Where are you going, Lord? Jesus' first three words were, come and see. Come and see. Now, that's about as low a commitment as you can ask for anybody. Check us out. And that's really where a church should start. Come and see. You don't have to sing anything, sign anything, sacrifice anything, say anything. You don't have to wear a certain kind of clothes. Just come and see. Check out what Christians are really all about. And so it's a pretty low barrier. Uh, just come and see. That's the only requirement. But Jesus doesn't leave them there. And over the next three and a half years, he starts systematically and sequentially turning up the heat to move them beyond that simple come and see commitment. And he has about 14 times in the New Testament, Jesus redefines what it is to follow him. And every time it's like he's turning up the heat on the stove and requiring a little bit more, requiring a little bit more. It's systematic and it's sequential. And so after a while, he first says to his disciples, just come and see. But then at one point he turns around and says, uh, you know, if you're gonna follow me, you wanna be my disciples, you have to love each other. Well, he's just turned up the heat. He's required a little bit more turning up. The, you gotta love each other. And then a little bit later he goes, uh, you know, uh, if you want to be my disciple, you must continue in my word, and then you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. He's turned it up. About 14 times it defines what it means to be a disciple. Now it's not just love each other. you got to continue in my word. Then he, he goes on, he says, at another point, he says, if you, if you want to follow me, um, you, you've got to love me more than your mother or father. Whoa, now he's really turning up the heat. Uh, at, at another point, he says, if you want to, be my disciple, you've got to bear fruit. Um, another time he says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Whoa, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. Uh, there's a big, you'd agree, there's a big difference between come and see and eat my flesh and drink my blood. That sounds pretty gruesome. And the, the disciples had no idea what he's talking about when he said that. In fact, the Bible says that when Jesus gave, turned up the heat that time, Many followed him no more because his words were too hard. And Jesus turns around and says to Peter and the 12, you guys gonna leave me? And, and Peter wisely says, Lord, 
we haven't the slightest idea what you're talking about, but you're stuck with us because you have the words of life. We don't know in what in the world you mean, but you, we're not going anywhere else because we know you have the words of life. So they don't know what he means when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Uh, but they're going, we're not bailing on you. So he's turning up the heat uh, systematic and sequentially a little bit more. Then right before the cross, he turns around and he says, if you want to be to my disciple, you want to walk in the spirit. You have to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Now, that's not the first thing he said. It's after he had spent three years of loving them. Truth is always preceded by trust. You don't have the right to tell people the hard truth until you know they know you love them. And Jesus spent three years loving them before he says, you got to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Now, we don't even understand how impactful that was because today the cross is a symbol of hope. We put it on hospitals. We put it on the Red Cross. We put it in cemeteries. We wear it around our neck. But in those days, the cross was a symbol of torture. It was a symbol of death. It was a symbol of a shameful criminal hanging neck naked kind of death. Very, very painful that often lasted days and days and days. What Jesus is saying is if you're going to follow me, you got to come and die. You got to be willing to die for me. Now, guys, and to everybody who's listening, the whole business of ministry, the whole business of leading a church, the whole business of spiritual development is moving people from come and see to come and die. And there are systematic sequential stages to move people from come and see to come and die. A lot of churches tend to go to one of the other extremes and miss all the stuff in the middle. There are come and see churches out there and they're big, okay? Because they don't require anything more than come and see. And, and anytime you see a church that's grown from zero to a couple thousand people really fast, you know one thing, that's not legitimate growth because churches don't grow that fast, okay? Uh, when God wants to make a mushroom, he takes six hours. When he wants to make an oak tree, he takes 60 years. I can show any pastor how to grow a church. I cannot show him how to do it quick. It took me 43 years. It took me 43 years. Of it could, could be. So uh, there a lot, lot of times they think they're fishing for men. They're just swapping fish from aquarium to aquarium. Churches that grow really rapidly are transfer growth. That's not legitimate evangelism. It's taking churches, people from other churches and they're the hot act in town. And here's the big thing. A crowd is not a church. A crowd is not a church. A crowd can be turned into a church if you have a discipleship process. And that's what I'm all about. But a crowd is not a church. And uh, attendance, you know, sometimes you'll hear these podcasts where guys go, it's all about the weekend. Nonsense. It's not all about the weekend. The weekend is just the funnel for all the other stages of spiritual growth, moving people from uh, you know, non-believer to uh, knowing Christ, to becoming a member of the church, from membership to maturity, to ministry, to mission. You bring them in, you build them up, you teach them how, and you send them out. You bring them in, you build them up, 
teach them how and you send them out. That's all I've been doing for 43 years. And every year you say, what are you going to do next year? Same thing we did this last year, just better. We're going to do a better job of bringing them in. We're going to do a better job of building them up. We're going to build a job of teaching them how, and we're going to do a better job of sending them out. Saddleback is the only church in Christian history that has gone, sent our members to plant a church in every nation. Uh, we, in 19, excuse me, in 2000, the year 2000, I was reading the Great Commission to everybody in church. and said, go make disciples of every nation. I said, I wonder if any church has ever done that. Has any local church actually ever sent members of their own church to every nation? I said, why don't we be the first church in Christian history to do that? And we'll plant a church in every nation. And our people said, fine, let's go for it. We'll charge hell with squirt guns. And so uh, we sent out first 1,000, then 2,000, 3,000. Saddleback's a really big church. But uh, over the next decade, first place, I didn't know how many nations there were. I had to look it up. <laughs> there are 197 nations in the world. Uh, there used to be 196, but uh, Sudan split into North and South Sudan. There are 195 nations in the United Nations. Uh, the only two nations not in, in uh, the United Nations are Serbia for war crime and, and uh, Taiwan, because China won't let them in, won't recognize their existence. So we said by the end of the decade, in 10 years, we will have sent our own members to go to every nation. And we came up with a little plan called Peace Plan, P-E-A-C-E, -E, five things Jesus did. Plant churches, equip leaders, A, assist the poor, C, care for the sick, and E, educate the next generation. Poverty, disease, illiteracy, these are big problems in the world. Spiritual emptiness, corruption, stuff like that. I set out in that decade, we said by the end of 2010, we will have gone to every nation. And I sent out 26,869 of my members over that 10 year period, uh, and on October, excuse me, November 18th, 2000, the year uh, 2010, right at the end of the decade, um, we went to Nation 197, a little island in the Caribbean called St. Kitts. Saddleback's the only church that's literally gone to every nation and planted a church. So I know that normal people can do this. Now, a church of 75 is not gonna do it like that, but they could send five. And a church of 100 may not be able to do what we did, but they could send 10, okay? And, and what we're doing today is, in, in finishing the task, we can talk about that a little bit later, is I'm teaching churches how to stop outsourcing their mission responsibility and do it themselves. Stop thinking, well, we support World Vision, or we support our denomination, or we support uh, uh, camp, you know, Campus Crusade, or these are all good organizations but the average member is doing nothing for the Great Commission. And so I'm given the next 10 years on that. What I've learned is this, when you, when you, if you want the anointing of God on your life, I said this in Amsterdam, if you want the anointing of God on your life, the power of God in your life, the blessing of God through your life, you have to care about what God cares about most. And what he cares about most is he wants his lost children found. And there's almost nothing God will not do for the church and the pastor and the staff 
who say God's priority, the great commandment, the great commission will be our priority. There's almost nothing God won't do for them because it's so rare. Thanks for sharing. I, I, as you're talking, I'm thinking about, you know, the mom watching or the engineer or the teacher, the janitor, and they're, they're listening to this on the, on the treadmill or in their car. And, and, and when, when we hear your story, Rick, and we hear that, I mean, that's not natural. God doesn't just, that's not a natural dream. That's not a natural life that you've lived. That's yeah. a supernatural life where the Spirit of God spoke things like like to give you the idea to go to every nation, to, to, to the launch Saddleback, for instance, all of those things, all the things that you've done. I mean, celebrate recoveries, ministry, of, like it's on and on and on. Um, where, where did that start? You like hearing God's voice and that obedience to go, hey, I think this is what we're like. I, I just think of someone listening who's going, okay, like God's speaking to me, but how do I know? Like, you know that? Great, great, great question. Great question. The spirit empowered life is the faith driven life. And you have to take step baby steps in faith before you can take bigger steps and then really big steps and then giant steps. The kind of stuff that I'm doing now blows everybody's mind, but it didn't start there. It starts with baby steps. Now, here's the thing. Every single major decision that we made over 43 years at Saddleback that I knew was something that would help us fulfill the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, between you and me and the fence post, I was scared to death to do. Okay. But I happen to believe I'm not going to let fear dominate my life. I'm going to do what the Holy Spirit tells me to do, even when I'm scared to death. You see, people misunderstand what courage is. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is doing what you're scared to death to do, but doing it anyway because it's the right thing. If you're not afraid, you don't need courage. If you're not afraid, you don't need faith. You see, when the parable of the talents of the guy who doubles his talent and the other guy doubles his talent, the third guy says, I was afraid and I hid it in the ground. I hid my talent in the ground. I did nothing with it. And, and the master says, you wicked, lazy, unfaithful servant. Why? Because God's definition of faithfulness is very different than ours. We think faithfulness means being doctrinally correct. But actually, faithfulness means we're taking risks. If you're not taking any risks in your life, then you don't need faith. And if you don't need faith, you are being unfaithful. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. The Bible says uh, uh, whatsoever is not a faith is sin. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. The Bible says, my favorite verse, according to your faith, it will be done to you. So you get to choose how much the Holy Spirit uses you. And that is, I get to choose. Little faith, God uses me a little. Bigger faith, God uses me more. As my faith grows, faith is like a muscle. It's not gonna be strong overnight. I like the, the sentence that Martin Luther King said, you don't have to see the top of the stairs to take the first step. So the people who are listening right now, I'm going to go, I'm going to say to you, before you care about the whole Great Commission and taking the gospel of the whole world, that's important. And that ought to be your goal, okay, because the Great Commission was given to you. You are called to go. You are called to make disciples. You are called to baptize. And you are called to teach. 
every man and every woman. But before you can even get to there, how about taking some little steps of faith in, in your own personal life and in your neighborhood, uh, like walk across the street and invite somebody to church and stuff like that. Uh, it's, it's a muscle that grows. And yes, it's overwhelming when you hear some of the things that I'm believing God for, but I didn't start that way. I started, you know, I started Saddleback. You can't start any smaller than I started. I had one member, my wife, and I, I, I took a big leap of faith. I moved about 1,500 miles from Texas to Southern California with no money, no member, no building. I didn't know a single person. I just knew the Holy Spirit was leading me to do it. And, and it, it, I was scared the whole way, okay? But I said, I'm just going to do it because it's the right thing to do, not because if I only do what's comfortable, that will make sure everything, nothing nothing is uncomfortable. I mean, it's all comfortable, and I, I cannot do what God wants me to do. So uh, that would be the second thing in living a spirit-empowered life. Stop comparing yourself and stop living for comfort. Allow yourself to get in situations where you paint yourself into a corner and go, the only way I'm getting out of this is God bails me out. And it could be a little thing, okay? It could be as simple as who do you need to forgive or who do you need to ask forgiveness from? A really simple thing like that. Now, I have studied revivals all my life. What brings about spiritual revival? And... Um, Whenever God wants to move, and the Holy Spirit moves in a major way, he always goes through these same five stages every single time, whether it's in the Old Testament, the New Testament, or church history. The first phase of, of revival is what I call personal renewal. Personal renewal. It starts in the heart of you. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not the rest of the world, it's me. And, and you know, in, in Revelation 2, uh, Jesus um, says um, to the Ephesus church, uh, you guys, I know all the good stuff you've done. You've, you've stayed firm in tribulation. Uh, you've, you've shown good works and all, all these good things you've done. But I got one problem. You don't love me like you used to. You don't love me. And so I have to ask myself, has there ever been a time in my life where I felt more in love with Christ than I do right now? If so, I need personal renewal, okay? I need personal renewal. It starts in the heart. And you're, I, it's called lots of things. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's called being filled with the Spirit. It's called making Jesus Lord. It's called the deeper life, the victorious life. Uh, I, there's a thousand things. I don't care what you call it, just get it. Fall in love with Jesus again and let the spirit live through you, okay? That's, that's to me, I'm not gonna de debate denominational terminologies. I'm just going, fall in love with Jesus, and when you do that, the Holy Spirit, you overflow with living waters, okay? And so, the personal renewal. The second renewal that has to come after that is relational renewal. First, I get right with God. Second, I get right with everybody else around me, okay? I confess my sins to God, but some I may need to confess to others. I may need to ask forgiveness because of resentment or gossip or bitterness 
or a bad attitude or whatever, pridefulness. And so there's relational renewal. Now, these first two renewals, guys, it's just the great commandment. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. It's the vertical and it's the horizontal. So all revival starts with the great commandment, not the great commission. The great commandment precedes the great commission. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Get right with God, get right with, with other people. Now, typically in evangelical charismatic uh, uh, churches uh, in, in Western culture, this was traditionally done for a hundred years by what was called the annual revival. And what you would do is you would invite a guest speaker in, maybe a pastor from another church, just another voice. He comes in and preaches for a week or two weeks. Everybody gets right with God. Everybody gets right with each other. And the church starts growing. It warms up, but then it hits a ceiling and it starts going back down until they have another, quote, revival. And why is that? Because they didn't get the other three renewals. And I'll get to that. I'll get to that in a second. But there are two ways you can know if a church, doesn't matter whether it's in Nigeria or Edmonton, uh, if a church has had personal or relational renewal, two signs. You can tell it all the time. Number one, the singing gets better. Because when people fall in love with God again, fall in love with Jesus, and fall in love with each other again, they, they want to sing. There's a new joy. I tell pastors, next week, take a video camera and stand in front of those 100 or 200 or 75 people and take a pic and videotape them singing and tell me if they're just mouthing the words or if it's really bubbling out of their heart. Is it just a tradition? We've always sung this. Or is it really coming out are they with their lips or with their heart? So the first way you know a church has had personal relational renewal, singing gets better. The second way you know a church has had personal relational renewal, they want to stay longer after the service. They want to hang around and talk because they love the Lord and they love their church family. And so they want to hang around afterwards. If you have a service, where everybody leaves as soon as the sermon is done, you have a performance, not a fellowship. You don't have koinonia. You have a performance, and they're coming to hear a performance, and then they're leaving. But personal relational renewal, they want to hang around. The fellowship gets richer in that. The third renewal is called missional renewal. Missional renewal is now we realize we're not here just to be a bless me click, a club, a, a, a fellowship. We have an assignment. We have a kingdom assignment to do. We have the great commission. God has called us to do something in the world, to be salt, to be light. And, and just coming to church is not enough. Just hearing the word of God is not enough. Just singing praise is not enough. Our, we, we need to turn our audience into an army. We need to turn spectators into contributors. We need to turn members into ministers and, and, and into participators. And so that's called missional renewal. And when we understand that God created our church and created our lives for five things, and those, those five purposes are modeled in Acts 2. They are prayed for by Jesus in John 17. It's what he did with the disciples. Paul explains them in Ephesians 4, but they're best expressed in the five verbs of the great commandment, the great commission. 
If a person who's listening right now will begin to focus their life on the great commandment and the great commission and those five verbs, they're going to get it. Okay. Here's what one day Jesus is walking down the street. A guy walks up to him and says, Lord, what's the most important thing in the entire Bible? What's the most important commandment? And Jesus goes, oh, that's easy. I, I can explain this in, in a sentence or two. All the law and the prophets are, uh, are, are summed up. The whole Bible summed up. These two things. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbors yourself. Now, that's the first two purposes of life. And that's the first two purposes of the church. The first purpose of life and the first purpose of church is love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. The word for that is worship. Worship. Anytime you're expressing love to God, you're worshiping. Worship is expressing my love to God. Now, people, a lot of people think worship is music. No, work. music's a tool, but worship's far bigger than music. I could take the trash out and it'd be an act of worship if I'm doing it with a spirit of gratitude. Uh, silence is an act of worship. Uh, caring for others can be an act of worship. Uh, loving is an act of worship. Anything that you do in Jesus' name, a cup of cold water counts, okay? Uh, but worship is loving, expressing my love to God. And then he says, oh, by the way, love your neighbors yourself. Now, the word for that in scripture is the word ministry. Ministry is anytime you're expressing your love to others. That's called um, ministry or service. Diakonia is the Greek word. Jesus said, even a cup of cold water given in my name counts. And so we get the first two purposes, uh, worship and ministry from the great commit commandment. Then we go over to the great commission and we've got three more verbs. Go make disciples, baptize them into the body of Christ, and teach them to do everything I've commanded you. Go make disciples, the word for that is evangelism, or mission, or outreach, or witness. It is the, the, the bringing non-believers into the family of God, and we're all called to do that. Go make disciples. Then he says, uh, teach them to do everything I've commanded you. That's discipleship, teaching them to do everything I've commanded you. Now, between these two great goals of evangelism and discipleship, he says, oh, by the way, baptize them into the body of Christ, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptism is a symbol of belonging. It, we are baptized into the body of Christ. It's not just a symbol of salvation. It's a symbol that you've been incorporated into the family of God. And we're not just believers. We're belongers. A lot of Christians don't realize this. Okay, this is the missing purpose for a lot of people. The purpose of fellowship, the purpose of incorporation, the purpose of connection, that we're not meant to go through life on our own. We're meant to be part of a body in the bride of Christ, in the body of Christ, in the family of God. A Christian without a church family is an orphan. And so, so the, the, the Great Commission says, uh, make disciples, that's evangelize them, bring them, into, bring, bring them to Christ, mark disciples through baptism, and mature disciples through discipleship. So we get fellowship, which is bringing them into the body of Christ. We get discipleship, and we get evangelism. Now, anybody who's still listening, since I'm like a fire hydrant dumping, <laughs> okay, I'm dumping, uh, a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission 
will grow a great Christian. Wow. A great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will grow a great church. A great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will grow a great community, corporation, country. Whatever's committed to the great commandment, great commission is gonna grow. When I wrote the book, Purpose Driven Life, it's about personal and relational renewal. When I wrote the book, Purpose Driven Church, it's about missional renewal. Now, when you get a church growing, personal renewal, relational renewal, missional renewal, you can't keep it from growing. It's gonna grow. It's healthy and it's going to grow. And then you get to the fourth renewal, because as you grow, you eventually hit another ceiling. And the fourth renewal is structural renewal. Structural hmm. renewal. What I mean by that is Jesus said, you can't put new wine in what? Old wineskins. Wine yeah, old wineskins. And so the structure that you use when you have 50 people in your church doesn't work when you got 100. And the way you make decisions when you got 100 people doesn't work when you got 200. And what works at 200 doesn't work at 300 and 500 and on and up. And I can tell you from experience what worked at 25,000 didn't work when we hit 30,000. That you're, you're, you know that in your body, you get a new skeleton every seven years. Your body is constantly sloughing off your bones, uh, cells, old cells, and the bone marrow is creating new, new skeleton. Because if you were still in the skeleton of a two-year-old in your body today, you'd look pretty funny. Your skeleton has to grow. Your skeleton has to change. And this is what's keeping most churches um, under 300 people. They have a structure. Structure doesn't cause growth, but it'll prevent growth. Now, the big mistake that a lot of pastors do, they go into a new church, the first thing they want to do is reorganize everything. Dumb, 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 dumb. Okay. Structure is the fourth thing you change. Okay, if you change it before you have personal, relational, mission renewal, you're going to be martyred. Blood will be spilled, and it will be the pastors because people. We've always done it this way. That's the last thing you change. It's after revival has come. I'm revived. I love Jesus again, and I love you. And we know we're called to the great commandment and the great commission, and we're growing. Now we can start focusing on, well, we need to change this structure and that structure because the way we made decisions at the last thing doesn't work anymore. We're, we're bigger than that. Yeah. That makes sense? So good. Yeah. So now the, good. Last, well, the last renewal is cultural renewal. Mm. Cultural mm. renewal. When a church is so revived from personal, relational, missional, and structural, they start impacting the moral climate of the community. Okay, and they start impacting and they start influencing. Saddleback has influenced Orange County in Southern California more than probably anything else. Because I've been here 43 years. We had 180,000 names on the roll. We started churches all over. We have campuses everywhere. Uh, and, and, and so it's kind of like we're like an elephant. We're not a mega church. We're a monster church. And it's, we're not even a good model because we're so big. Uh, but, but the principles can be used at every stage from 75 to 100, from 100 mm -hmm. to 150. The if a principle is biblical, it will work anywhere. German methods only work in Germany. Mexico mm -hmm. methods only work in Mexico. American methods work in America. Canadian methods work in Canada. 
But if a principle is biblical, it'll work anywhere. Wow. And, and what we do is we built an entire system on moving people from come and see to come and die. And we've just been moving people through those stages year after year after year, and each year we're just trying to get better. What I'm gonna do the next 10 years is teach as many people how to do this as possible. Uh, uh, we're, 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 one of the things we use is a thing called a campaign. We, uh, it was a, something I invented at Saddleback. It was an annual spiritual growth emphasis, and we had over 30 campaigns, and that was the secret that made Saddleback grow. In the next nine and 10 years, I'm gonna write nine new campaigns for any church around the world to use, and free. They don't cost anything, they're free. So any church of any size can use these campaigns. What they're based on is something I learned growing up. I'm a fourth generation pastor. My father, my grandfather, my great grandfather was led to Christ by Charles Spurgeon and, and sent to America to plant churches. So I'm now the, the, uh, the chancellor of Spurgeon's College in London. Uh, that my great great grandfather, the reason uh, Warren's ended up in North America is because Spurgeon sent him here to, to, to plant churches. Wow. So that's why, you know, we're here in North America. I got to thinking, what if I started teaching the same truth, but I taught the same truth five or six different ways, and we did it in a concentrated period of 30, 40, 50 days? And I say, you're going to. Uh, so in a campaign, what I will tell them, I say, in the next 50 days, you're going to hear uh, seven sermons on this topic, like, for instance, uh, what is the purpose of life? Then you're going to, every day, you're going to read a, a, another section, a devotional that reinforces what you heard. Then you're going to go to a small group and you're going to watch a video uh, that, that gives you more and stuff. Then you're going to talk about it in that small group. Then you're going to be given a project to actually work on with a group of other people where you become a doer of the word, not hearers only. And then we're going to memorize a Bible verse every week that actually capstones what we're learning. So you hear it, you read it, you study it, you memorize it, you meditate on it, you do it, you practice it, you talk about it. I start watching the spiritual growth of my people soar. Wow. And, and it went from me just teaching a series, a sermon series on a topic, to going, we're going to reinforce it this way. People look and go, how in the world did Saddleback send 26,000 people overseas? Because we built a culture of years and years of campaigns where I was turning an audience into an army. It didn't happen overnight. I just didn't get up one day and go, hey, we're going to go to the whole world. I was doing it by teaching habits. In Jesus' three and a half years of ministry, he had seven ministry campaigns. He would take his disciples out for an intense period of preaching, teaching, and healing. And then he'd say, let's pull back, let's go to the desert. And then he'd go out for another intense period of preaching, teaching, and healing. And then he'd say, let's go to the mountains. You deserve a break today. He had seven of these campaigns in his ministry. That was part of his strategy. It was systematic. And then the other thing I knew is that from reading psychology books, it takes six weeks doing something every day to make it a habit. You have to do something every day for three weeks to get comfortable with it. And you have to do it another three weeks every day for it to be ingrained as a habit. This is why, guys, 
Most Christians aren't consistent in a daily quiet time. They've never gone six weeks without missing. What typically people do is they have a time of prayer and Bible study for two or three days, and then they miss a day. And then they have it for a day, and they miss a day. Then they have it for three days, and they miss a day. That's like rolling up a ball of twine and dropping. Roll up a ball of twine and drop it. Roll up a ball of twine. You're not making any progress. It keeps unraveling. And so the campaigns are dealt, are, are created to teach people the habits of worship, the habits of small group fellowship, the habits of discipleship, the habits of ministry, and the habits of evangelism. And the first, the next campaign is going to start Easter uh, uh, 2024. It's a 50-day campaign goes between Easter and Pentecost. I already have over 55,000 churches just in Africa alone that have signed up. Wow. We're probably going to have a half a million churches around the world doing the first campaign, which is called Made for More. You wow. are made for more. All the materials are going to be free. Anybody who wants it can write me, Rick, at finishing the task. We'll get you the information as it all comes out, all the details. But it's going to start next Easter. And it, it's a small group factory. It builds small groups. It builds worship. It builds fellowship. It build, It makes the church healthier so the church can do the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Oh, good. And that's what I'm really excited to share is that anybody can do it. We've already got the the uh, the, the material translated in almost 200 languages. Wow. And so there's going to be a website that anybody can go to. Any church can download all this stuff for free, <laughs> and, and we'll teach them how to do a campaign in their church, uh, the first of nine in finishing the task in the next decade. Um, one of the things, Rick, in hearing you talk, and one of the things our values as a ministry has been being wholehearted. And how the Spirit leads us on this journey of uh, knowing that we're sons and daughters, that we're not uh, human doings, we're human beings. And, and even as leading a ministry, founding this 15 years ago, I have to always go, God, this isn't my ministry, this is yours. And we're leading resurgence, but God, what would you have? And I feel it's really easy to, just being young in ministry going, it's easy to take that as my identity. And, you know, maybe someone's watching and they're a business owner and that business is their identity. But how have you navigated that all these years? Saddleback, you built it. You, you're, you're an innovator. You're a builder. You're a designer. And yet, I, I just saw this humility and the way you carry it, you carry it with a loose grip. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great question. You know, to sum it up, your worth is not based on your work. Your worth is not based on your work. And the first part of renewal, we're going to talk about this in, in, in the campaign, is letting God love you. Your first responsibility in worship is not to love God. Your first responsibility in worship is to let God love you. And if you get that right, you won't have a problem with workaholism. Because here's the issue. I can't tell you guys how many times people have said to me over the years, you know, Pastor, you know, Rick, I think my problem is I just don't love Jesus enough. And anytime I hear people say that, I go, no, 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 that, that's not your problem. Your problem is not that you don't love Jesus enough. Your problem is you don't realize how much he loves you. Wow. Because if you did, 
You can't help but love him. When you realize how much God loves you, you, you can't help but fall in love with him. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. Our love for Christ, personal renewal, love God with all your heart, starts out of first letting God love you. And that's why in this campaign, we're going to first start with understanding how much God loves you. The Bible says God is love. It doesn't say he has love. It says he is love. God is the essence of love. The only reason there's any love in the universe is because our creator is a loving God. If God wasn't a God of love, we wouldn't have any love in the universe. The only reason you have the ability to give and receive love is you're made in God's image. Cattle don't love, fish don't love, sheep don't love. Only human beings have the ability to give love and receive love because we're made in God's image. And God loves us before we love him. And so we have to start in, in basing our, uh, our, our identity, not on who we are, but whose we are, whose we are. I belong to God. God made me, Jesus died for me, the Holy Spirit fills me, he's inside of me. That's how much you matter to God. Now, God loves you on your good days as much as on your bad days. He loves you when you feel it, when you don't feel it. He loves you when you think you deserve it. He loves you when you think you can't deserve it. You can't make God stop loving you. You can try, but you will fail. Because God's love is not based on what you do, it's based on what Jesus did. It's not based on who you are, it's based on who, who God is. And so the starting point for uh, lowering the tension in your life, lowering the stress in your life, lowering the competition in your life, lowering the burnout in your life, uh, is to let God love you and to, and to be loved by God. That's what we're gonna start with in, in all these campaigns. It is, it is my worth, your worth is not based on your net worth, okay? Your value is not based on your valuables, okay? It's based on the fact that God created you, Jesus died for you, and the Spirit lives in you. And that makes you priceless. Um, if you want to know how much you love, how, how much God loves you, look at the cross. With arms outstretched, and nail-pierced hands, and blood running down, Jesus says, this is how much I love you. I love you so much, it hurts. I love you so much, I'd rather die than live without you. Nobody, no man will ever love you more than Jesus Christ. No woman will ever love you more than Jesus Christ. And so the starting point to everything we do in our identity is in our relationship to Christ. Now. Let me say this, our identity comes from our relationships. For instance, uh, if I were raised in a forest with no human beings, I wouldn't know I'm a human being. The only reason I know I'm a human being is because I've been related to human beings growing up. I'm in a family. And so that's why today we're having so many relationship problems that that's causing the identity epidemic. We've got an entire generation that goes, I don't know, what's my sexual identity? What's my physical identity? What's my 
emotional identity. I don't know who I am. I don't know who I That's because the relationships are screwed up in our families. Now, if you want ultimate security for your identity, you must put your security in something that can never be taken from you. <laughs> because if it can be taken from you, you'll live insecurely your entire life. So if I put my security and my identity in my job, I lose my job, who am I? And I put my identity in my ministry, I lose my ministry, who am I? I put my identity in my bank account, I lose my money, who am I? I put my identity in my appearance and good looks, and when I get old and I lose my appearance and good looks, who am I? I put my identity in my talent, I can lose my talent, I'm not as talented as I used to be. Uh, I, I can put my, anything you put your trust in that can be taken away from you, you will live with insecurity. Now, there's only one thing that can never be taken from you. The love of God. Come on. Neither heights nor depths nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor demons. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 38 and 39. And so I have to build my identity in whose I am, in the love of Christ. When you do that, how do you know when you have confidence? You stop trying to control everything. Control is always a symptom of fear. And the more fearful and the more insecure I am, the more controlling I'm going to try to be. Control my crits, I'm afraid of that. Control my wife, control my husband, control my church. The more confident and secure I am in the love of God, the less I have to control something. And I can say three times a day, God is God and I'm not. God is God and I'm not. God is God and I'm not. And that is like a burden off your weight that ultimately it's not up to your ingenuity to make the church work. It's not up to your talentness. Yes, God has given you talent. God has called you. God has done all these things. But it's ultimately, Jesus said, I will build my church. You just need to trust me. So relax, relax, and trust me. Uh, I was talking to you before we started uh, the, uh, this podcast that uh, I had a prayer that I prayed every Saturday night and every Sunday morning driving to church, because we had Saturday and Sunday services, um, for 43 years. And it's quite a long prayer. It's about 15 minutes long. It's, you know, like athletes have what they call their game day ritual, that before they, they start in a pro game, they do the same thing over and over to get their mind set and ready for the big game. And when I was getting ready for the weekends, uh, I have this prayer, my game day prayer, that prepares my heart, not simply to preach, but actually to do the pastoral care on the patio afterwards when people come up and say, you know, Rick, I've never told this to anybody. And you're ministering there uh, with a look, a word and a touch, a look, a word and a touch, a look, a word and a touch. And um, so uh, I, I have to prepare my heart, but there's one part of that prayer I'll share with you, uh, whereas I offered my resignation to Jesus Christ every week, Saturdays and Sundays, driving to church for 43 years. Yeah. And it, it, this part went like this. Lord, uh, I, I know you used me to start this church. 
but it's not my church. It's, it's, your, it's your church, Lord. Uh, and this church belongs to you, and I belong to you. And you have the right to move me at any moment. And if there's somebody else you want to bring in to lead this church at this time, somebody who you want it to go in a different direction, somebody who could take it to the next level, I willingly offer my resignation to you. And I offered my resignation every Saturday night and every Sunday for 43 years. And as I was driving, I literally would take my hands off the steering wheel for a moment as a symbol of surrender, that I'm not in control. It's your church. It belongs to you. I belong to you. And, and then the, the, the line that I would give with, that was the hardest line in the entire prayer was this. I offer my resignation to you, and I'm willing to do something harder. Hmm. I'm willing to do something more complicated. Because honestly, guys, there were a thousand things I could do that would be easier than, than leading Saddleback Church. It's an incredibly complex thing with campuses on four continents in Asia, you know, Saddleback Hong Kong, Saddleback Manila, Saddleback Berlin, Saddleback Buenos Aires. It's, it's huge. I got a staff of 500. In, and almost anything would be easier. But to make it real, I had to say, I'm willing to do something harder and I'm willing to do something more complicated. Hmm. And uh, a couple of years ago, right before COVID, God said, I'm going to have you leave finishing the task, which is to complete the Great Commission uh, using churches um, in the next 10 years. Now, follow me on this. If this really is the year 2023, it's 2023 AD, which means it's 2023 years since the birth of Christ. The first Christmas, according to this calendar, would be in year zero. Most of the world accepts this is 2023. We know that Jesus started his ministry at age 30. Tells us that in Luke. Uh, so Jesus started his public ministry in 30 AD. We know that he had a three to three and a half year uh, ministry. So we know that Christ died on the cross in AD 33. Christ was resurrected in AD 33. Christ gave the great commission in AD 33. He ascended back to heaven and promised he would return in AD 33. And he sent the Holy Spirit to start the church of Pentecost in AD 33. That means in just 10 years, 2033, 2033, it's the 2000th celebration of the resurrection. It's the 2000th anniversary of the Great Commission. It's the 2000th birthday of Christianity, the birth of a church. So in leading FTT, which is now has about, uh, 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 I don't know how many thousands of denominations that have already signed on in churches, um, we said, how about by the 2000th birthday of the church, we complete the Great Commission? And we have four, four big goals. Now, when COVID hit, I decided I would read every book that I could find in print on the Great Commission and on the birth of the church. Because the fastest period of growth in Christianity was the first 350 years. We grew from 120 people in the upper room to over 15 million believers in, a, in the Roman Empire of 30 million believers. 
half the, half the empire had come to Christ by about 380. They had no Bibles. They had no buildings. Uh, they had no printing press. They had no planes, trains, automobiles. They had no podcasts. They had no internet. They had no radio, TV. How in the world did they do it? They had no church buildings. There were no church buildings until the fourth century. There were no pulpits until the ninth century. There were no printed Bibles that everybody could own until the 15th century. How did they do it? Every member minister, moving audience to an army. Paul hadn't even gotten to Rome. And we know in AD 64, when uh, uh, Nero set it on fire and blamed the Christians, Tacitus in his annals said, and a multitude were murdered and burned and crucified and, and burned at stake in that. There was a multitude of Christians in Rome and Paul hadn't even got there yet. How did he get there? People were gossiping the gospel. They were gossiping the gospel. So I've spent the last four years studying what did they do right in the first 350 years? And what have we done wrong in the last 1700 that we haven't gotten the Great Commission done? Of the many books, I read over 100 books on the Great Commission. One of them was called 770 Plans by David Barrett, an Anglican bishop who was a student and a historian of mission plans. And he outlines every plan to complete the Great Commission in the last 2,000 years and why none of them failed. And I, not, I mean, none of them succeeded. Uh, I use that index to study the primary stuff. And here's the main thing. Not one plan to fulfill the Great Commission in the last 2,000 years involved local churches. It was all done by mission agencies and small groups often in one part of the country or one part of the, of the world and ignoring the other denominations, ignoring everybody else. And it was professionals. And I said, it's like a football game. An NFL football game, 22 professionals on the field desperately in need of rest, and 100,000 people in the stands desperately in need of exercise. That's the church. Okay, that's the church. I intend to reverse that in the next 10 years. And so using campaigns and courses and classes and all kinds of stuff, I want to get the people in the pew mobilized again for the Great Commission the way they did it in the first 350 years. Wow, Rick, that is just so cool. And what an amazing vision and what an awesome conversation this has been. We just really appreciate uh, just all the insight and the way that you've been able to speak into our lives and the lives of all the leaders that are listening. Um, but yeah, one of the things we do on this podcast is we love to give our guests an opportunity to pray for the people that are listening. Um, you're going to have everyone from church leaders, movement leaders to, yeah. to just lay leaders. And so why don't you just take a moment and just just lift those up that are listening and uh, just whatever God's laid on your heart, feel free to uh, to release today. Well, thank you, Donovan, and thank you, Travis, for having the courage to write me and go, hey, let's just roll the dice and see if Rick will help. Of course I'll help. Okay, of course I'll help. I love you guys. I, I believe in you. Keep doing what you're doing. This matters to the kingdom of God. This mm -hmm. podcast is the very kind of thing we need to use the technology of the day uh, to finish the task. And everybody can have a part. doesn't matter where your church is what it's called or the size of it, God wants mm -hmm. to use every person. Who authorizes you to do the Great Commission? Jesus Christ. All authority mm -hmm. has been given to me. Therefore, go. 
Therefore, make disciples. Therefore, baptize. Therefore, teach. By the way, that we believe everybody's called to baptize, not simply the hired holy men. So at Saddleback, <laughs> the reason we've baptized more people than any church in America is because if you lead them to Christ, you get to baptize them. Hmm. So cool. if, a, if a little girl uh, brings her daddy to Christ, she can baptize her daddy. If hmm. a wife brings her husband to Christ, she gets to baptize her. Anybody gets baptized. That's how we baptized 54,000 new believers in 43 years. Come on. Everybody gets to baptize. If I had to baptize all 54,000, <laughs> it wouldn't happen. I would have been drowned and shriveled and looked like a raisin. Okay. Okay. With all that water. But but by saying, you led them to Christ, you get to baptize. It's like Philip in the Ethiopian Union. Hey, here's some water. Let's do it right here. Okay. <laughs> and so that is that is the radicalness of every member as a minister. It's good. And, and mobilized. So let me pray uh, for mm -hmm. you guys and everybody who's listening. Lord, I don't know all the needs and all the problems of the people who are listening right now, but, but you do. And you love them so very, very much. And even though I don't know them, I, I love them because they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And really we have more uh, an allegiance together being part of the family of God than we do what nation we live in or what our gender is or what denomination we are. Mm -hmm. uh, we're we're going to be together forever in heaven. And uh, may we speak up for each other, defend each other, and pray for each other. And right now, I pray for those who are confused, give them wisdom. Uh, for those who are discouraged, give them encouragement. Help them to sense your presence in their lives. Uh, for those who are tired, help them to remember, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. For those who are anxious, help them to remember, be anxious for nothing. But in your prayers and supplications, present your supplications to God. The peace of God passes all understanding, will be with them. For those, Lord, who are in conflict right now, in their family or in their church or in their business, help them to remember, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the children of God. For those, Lord, who uh, just have had so many problems that they, they, uh, they, they're angry right now. They're angry. Uh, and, and they're confused. And, uh, and they're irritated, irritated. Would you drain that anger out of their heart? Would you replace their panic with your peace? Would you replace uh, the pressure they feel with your presence? Would you fill them with a sense that they cannot get, keep you from loving them? That you love them today, right now, as much as you ever have. And you will love them in the future as much as you love them right now. Mm -hmm. Help us to rely on your love. To not look to uh, our work for our worth. To not look to our wealth for our worth. Uh, but to look in worship to you and to walk in the spirit, uh, meaning we're trusting in your grace 
Thank you, Lord, that you know every single mistake we're going to make in ministry, and you still chose us. Thank you. Thank you that you use ordinary people, that if you only use perfect people, Lord, nothing would get done. So thank you for your grace. And when the Satan uh, tries to condemn us for the weaknesses and the sins and the mixed motivations that we can't even figure out half the time, uh, help us to just say, I'm a trophy of God's grace. And, and agree and say, look how gracious God is to use somebody like me, a sinner. Lord, we commit to praying with each other and to praying for each other. Mm -hmm. And we pray that even today, the rest of this day of this podcast, uh, that the people who listen to it will sense a new, fresh anointing in their lives. I pray that you would give them a double portion of your Holy Spirit. What you've called them to do, you've equipped them to do. They've studied to do, they've prepared to do. And now I'm asking you to anoint them to do. And I pray this blessing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you. You know, as, as you were praying, Rick, I, um, we've not done this for a guest before, but I just felt I want to ask us all who are listening to pray for you and to pray for finishing the task. And my Thank wife, you, Jessica, and I were in Amsterdam. We were part of that conference as well. And one of the yeah. things that we were we were so touched by, our hearts are for evangelism and the world, and she carries a heart for that. And, and just to see all the nations there. And one of the one of the things that touched us was Bible translation and the need to get a translation that, that, to finish the task of translating the Bible. And yeah. one, of the, one of the mandates you have is breakthrough prayer, that people yeah. would pray. And so it's easy to listen to this and listen to a podcast and go, okay, great Bible translation, great, finish the task. Rick yeah. will go do it. Donovan will go do it. Travis, someone else will go do it. <laughs> but I, I just want to encourage everyone today to take a moment, and we're going to pray for Rick, but we're going to pray for a breakthrough prayer for mm -hmm. uh, finishing the task, that the Bible would be translated, that the, the workers would increase in new languages, that even today there would be a shift. Amen. Four, four, four goals. Pray for all four goals. Bibles, believers, bodies of Christ, and breakthrough prayer. Bibles, believers, believers yeah. bodies of Christ, and breakthrough prayer. Here are the four big uh, global goals. Bibles. We want everybody in the world to have access to the Bible in their heart translation by the year 2033. I'm working with every translation agency in the world. We're working with churches and YWAM and Lots Group to get to speed up translation so that everybody will have a scripture in their own heart language. Nobody should have to learn a new language to hear that Jesus loves them. That's Bibles. Bodies of Christ. We want everybody in the world to have access to a local church by 2033. That means we have to start tens of millions of new churches. Most of those will never have a building. They're going to be what we call rabbit churches or house churches. They won't be building. We can't build buildings fast enough. It's going to be tens of millions of house churches all around the world. Hmm. Bibles. And bodies of Christ, the third is believers. We want to train every believer in how to share their testimony in a safe, natural way. And it's the exact opposite of the way you were taught, because this has to do with sharing out of your own weakness, out of your own pain. I don't have time to get into it, 
but it's a different way of evangelism that where we actually reach people through our hurts more than through our strengths. Okay, and we'll, I can teach, teach about that sometime. And then breakthrough prayer, we want everybody in the world prayed for by name at least one time in the next 10 years. Now using technology and artificial intelligence, we can actually get those names and get everybody praying for one person or two person or three people over the next 10 years by name so that they can come to Christ. And uh, those are the big Bible believer, body of Christ, breakthrough prayer. Okay, let's pray. So Lord, we just uh, pray right now, wherever we're watching or listening to this, God, we pray for Bibles. We pray that everybody on planet earth would have access to the Bible in their language, in their tongue. God, we ask for translators to come forth. We ask for the finances. We ask for um, all those languages to be completed and every single person have access to a Bible. We we thank you for believers, that you're going to raise up believers to reach people, that there's the evangelist in every one of us, God, that you've given us a mission and the mission has a church. And so, God, sometimes we get that out of whack and we're like, okay, the church has a missions department no we're all on mission and so god we thank you not by might not by power but by your spirit would you send us would you call us to the person at the starbucks or the person down the street or the person across the world wherever you're calling people to that are listening to this today would you show us what we're supposed to do we pray for uh churches to arise churches in new places that don't have a church disciple making churches filled with the spirit of god led by the spirit to see a mighty move of god God, in every nation, in every postal code, in every place where they don't even have postal codes or zip codes. God, we thank you and we pray for breakthrough prayers today. We we pray that you would raise an army of people that would pray, that would pray on their knees, that we would pray for every person on planet earth, that God, there would be prayer would arise, that even um, God, as, as that burst saddleback and as prayers burst so many things, I thank you that prayer is going to accomplish this. Prayer is going to be the engine that that runs all of what Rick is doing. And I thank you for Rick and Kay and their incredible Mm -hmm. ministry. We honor them Mm -hmm. today. I pray great health over him, protection over his mind, over his body, his spirit. We pray a blessing over Saddleback and and Mm pastors.com and all the ministries that have come Mm -hmm. through his hands and his leading that you have done miracles and and, and the miracle of God that he's seen. And so I thank you that some of his Mm great greatest miracles are in these next 10 years that God he's going to see this this finishing the task he's going to see a unity among the body like we've never seen before with one purpose to finish the task and so God I thank you God you've given him strength you've given him the ability but God more than that you filled him with your spirit and it's by your spirit that you're going to move and you're going to use him in a mighty way and so we honor him we bless him today amen Amen. Amen. Well, guys, this has been good. I love you so much, and and, uh, thank you, and uh, let's do this again sometime. That'd be (laughs) amazing. Thank you so much. Well, Travis, uh, I don't know about you, but that conversation hugely impacted me. I took a lot of notes (laughs) during that time. That was amazing. What, What were some of the things that stood out to you? Uh, I'm a little in shock right now, a little in awe. Um, (laughs) That was a gift. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a gift that I'll never forget. Um, Mm -hmm. There's people that you interview, and we have some amazing friends and people we've interviewed. 
Um, but but I, I just look at his life and his story, the character and integrity that he's that he's led his life with, mm-hmm. um, you know, in this season, just to see that and yeah. to see, you know, we live in such a um, narcissistic, um, selfish, it's easy to think about us and mm-hmm. what we're doing. And he he could so easily coast. He sold 50 yeah. million books. He's yeah. done leaders and Everything he's done, I mean, we didn't UN and all the stuff he's like, like there's a lot, and he could just relax, mm-hmm. and yet there's a drive in him to go. No, no, I, I need to do. And he said this um, in an interview. I saw him say, or maybe it was in Amsterdam. He says, "I'm not going to waste my life." Mm-hmm. And there's such a drive to see people come to Jesus, yeah. and 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 how he's had faith to to listen to the Spirit and do it. I mean, that is. It's not by might, not by power, but that's by the Spirit. And we just heard somebody who's living that. And mm-hmm. I think it's a, for us as a leaders of this ministry, but also for everything, every one of us leading where we're called, it's like, I'm not going to waste my life. Yeah. And um, there's something, and, and I just pray that I, I caught something today, and I'm asking God to kind of steward that and go, God, what do I need to be different? Mm-hmm. How do I need to be different from this interview today? Yeah, absolutely. I, I was super impacted by... What he talked when he talked about faith and fear and about baby steps and kind of growing faith like a muscle, right? And and I think and, and that kind of tied back into what he said about comparison because I think we can look at somebody like Rick and all of a sudden be like, oh, I'm not doing those things, and then we we live in fear, we live in like self doubt. But it's like no faith is like what is God calling me to today, you know? And and I just love that. And yeah, I was just I agree, Travis, just so much. Um, he, he's not just talking out of his head like he's talking about a, a life that surrendered and laid down and I really I, I caught so much of, of that today and and yeah, I agree I, I hope and pray that there were seeds planted even in my own heart that'll grow um, but yeah I think at the beginning of the podcast you you just mentioned that you wanted to share a little more about resurgence and what we're a part of and so why don't you just uh, just take a moment to share kind of your heart for resurgence and then I'll share a bit about mine and then and then we'll kind of wrap up the season <laughs> yeah yeah, one of the things as a ministry, we just want to call forth a generation of spirit-empowered leaders. That's why we're doing this podcast. And we just believe that wherever you are, God's called you to lead. Our ministry has, has three things that we're, we're championing and we feel like God's called us to do. To reach people, to revive churches, and to release leaders. Donovan and I are full-time, and we believe that God has called us to, to go to churches, to help pastors, to come alongside the local church. We believe the local church is essential and key, and how whatever we can do to help mm-hmm. the body of Christ, to raise up new churches, to, to go and speak. We go out, we speak, we minister, we go to camps, we go to conferences, we go where, where places can't afford us to go. Um, in reaching, we, we've gone to the Arctic parts of Canada, we've gone to new nations. We believe God's calling us to some new nations nations and there's some new opportunities coming and then we also releasing leaders and that's why this podcast is key and we believe there's some other tools that God's going to develop through us to to release leaders in a greater way to live out the calling of God everywhere we go and so that's why we want to share it with you today because years ago when God put this dream I like God how are we going to do this and I felt this phrase come to me it says the dream and the dream of God involves you And so we've shared that with people throughout the last 15 years of running this ministry. 
and the dream of God mm-hmm. involves you. And we just ask that you would pray and go, hey, am I supposed to get involved? And you know, Donovan, everywhere we've gone, you know, as we've gone to churches and you've shared, I've shared, we've, we've our gatherings in Edmonton that are happening monthly for the last 15 years. We've just said, we don't know how we're going to fund this, but we know God's put this dream. And if it's God's, then it's his and he's going to mm-hmm. fund it. And so people have just given, totally. churches have come on board. People, business yeah. owners have said, hey, how can I support you monthly? And so we have a monthly yeah. way that you can give. Uh, we have ways that you can give one time, whatever. We just go, would you pray and mm-hmm. ask God, how can I give? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I think about resurgence, it's actually two years now since I've been full time, like almost to the day. I think it's like five days will be two years on staff, which is pretty cool. Um, but when I think about resurgence, the word that comes to my mind is catalyst. Like we want to be a catalyst for churches to to walk in the fullness of what God's called them to be. We love local churches. We love leaders. We love people. And any way that we can help come alongside and and call out what God's put in you and help you walk in the fullness of that, we want to do. Yeah. So, so there's three ways today that you can kind of respond. You can go to liveresurgence.com, L-I-V-E-R-E-S-U-R-G-E-N-C-E.com. And there's a, there's a button there, donate. You can make a donation. You can make a one-time. You can make monthly. You can support us. Uh, the second thing is you can go to liveresurgence.com as well, but there's also a contact area. <clears throat> Reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Tell us where you're watching from. Tell us what uh, episode this season, as, as we are on our final episode of season one, t- mm-hmm. tell us what you enjoyed. Tell us some topics that you would like us to discuss. It would be so amazing mm-hmm. to hear from you. We would just, it would, we, we just would love it. And so would you do us a favor and just tell us what, what's, what's God speaking to you? Where are you leading? How can we pray for you? Mm-hmm. I, I promise every single one that messages us, we're going to take some time to just pray for you mm-hmm. and to pray that God would move in your area of leadership. So we invite you, whether it's a hundred or thousands to email us, email us. We would love to hear from you. Info at liveresurgence.com. Also, you can get to us. And then the third thing is, is we're on Instagram. We're on YouTube. We're on a bunch of social media platforms, LinkedIn. Would you follow us? Mm-hmm. Would you share? Would you comment? Um, even in the YouTube video that you're watching right now, tell us, tell us where you're from. Tell us what you enjoy of today's episode that would that would so encourage us mm-hmm. yeah we would really appreciate that um, but again we're, we're doing this for you uh, we want to see you thriving we want to see you growing and so if you have any questions even if you have any things you're wrestling with and uh, just yeah please don't hesitate to reach out we're here to serve you you know what's crazy Donovan is we started this whole podcast thing as an experiment mm-hmm. and we're already at the end of first season crazy. and we're like okay we'll do one season we'll see what it's like and I think we 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 started recording and I'm like we're doing two seasons like we yes. just felt the spirit of God on it and God has been in these conversations like it has been so impactful personally to my life I know your life we've shared uh, off camera and off the podcast of how it's impacted us and um so we're doing season two we, we don't know what it's going to totally look like but we have some amazing guests that have already lined up that are like we want to be a part of that and so we're yeah. going to keep the conversation going on spirit empowered leadership so subscribe be a part of this season two is coming really soon we're not going to wait too long because we just we can't we just want to get back into the conversation and so mm-hmm. we'll see you soon. We are so mm-hmm. honored to journey with you together. And remember, lead where God has called you because the spirit is in you to lead. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to the Spirit Empowered Leader Podcast. 
We hope that this podcast has encouraged you as an empowered leader. This podcast is brought to you by Resurgence Initiatives. Our mandate is to revive churches, release leaders, and reach people. We are on a journey, and the dream God has put in our heart involves you. Learn more at liveresurgence.com or on Instagram at liveresurgence.